0: Our Father in God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We acknowledge that you are wiser than us, uh, that you are more powerful than us and able to provide us a future that we cannot provide for ourselves. Though, Father, uh, most of us uh, carry on through life at different moments, uh, pretending that we are in control. And pretending that we provide our own future, uh, which sees us diminishing the work that you do in our lives. We pray that this morning, as we come back uh, to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that you might snap us out of that way of thinking. Thinking that we can be safe and secure on our own terms uh, when you offer us something far more wonderful that you hope that we will take hold of. Amen. Since the end of the Second World War, if there was one word to describe how people in the world have felt since the end of the Second World War, I reckon that safe would probably be a pretty good word to pick on a broad level. Uh, The simple fact is that apart from wars in particular places in the world, ever since the end of that global conflict, the world has largely been at peace, hasn't it? Uh, This means that since the 1940s, because there has not been widespread global conflict, as scientists and engineers, doctors and teachers, among many, many others have been able to focus not on surviving war, but on making the world a better and safer place. This, of course, has come crashing down in recent years, hasn't it? With a global pandemic making people feel unsafe, possibly for the first time in their lives. That's the generation that I fall into. And not to mention the regional military conflicts that are taking place at the moment which have brought upon worry again that the world may be on the brink of another world war. All of this has changed the mindset of people all over the world in recent years, hasn't it? Which has seen people questioning whether they really are safe. Are we really safe? We feel like we're safe, but on the other hand, there are things that are happening at the moment that make us question whether we really are. I wonder how you feel at the moment with everything that is happening in the world and maybe even with things that may be going on in your family or in your life. At the moment, do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? I think safety is something that we love, isn't it? We like feeling safe. As we go about our lives, we want to feel safe and we want to feel secure. This is a desire that I get acutely, especially having young children. I want them to be safe. We like safety. We like security. But the problem for us, as Jesus is going to continue the Sermon on the Mount today, the problem for us humans is that quite often we want to feel safe and secure. And the reality is that we look for security in all the wrong places. Because before us is the rest of our lives and the reality for all of us is that there are two options for where we can place our hopes and dreams and security for the future. But the problem is, is that even though we have two options, only one of them will provide us the safety and security that we need, the safety and security that lasts, because the other one doesn't. It's actually a counterfeit source of safety. And the problem for us is that we can even know the safety and security that comes from trusting in Jesus for our salvation. We can even know that. And the other things will continue to pull on us to take our attention away from Jesus and what he has done for us. Friends, I wonder if you feel safe. Well, regardless of how safe you feel, let's have a look at what Jesus says to us in chapter six of Matthew's gospel as he teaches us about where true safety and security can be found. Jesus begins this section of his sermon in verse 19 by highlighting a problem that all of us have where he gives us all a warning. This is what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, As Jesus begins, he immediately highlights a common problem for every single human that has ever existed in the history of the world. That's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Every single one of us. And the problem is this. Every single one of us is going to die. That's the reality. Though I wonder if you also realise that even though this is our common experience as humans, it is also common especially among Australians, to want to ignore that this is the reality of life. Have you noticed that? And we really do need to get ourselves out of this delusion that death is not real and that it won't happen to me. This is because even during the last few years where death has been at the forefront of just about every bit of news that we've seen on TV and heard on the radio, we still pretend in the way that we live that death isn't going to happen to us Uh, even in the last few days i don't know about you but the last fortnight it feels like lots of famous people have died have you noticed that in the last week olivia newton john died Uh, the government of victoria offered her family a state funeral which is what normally happens Uh, the family accepted the offer of the funeral and then almost instantly the funeral stopped being called a funeral. Did you notice that? Instead, it is now going to be a celebration of her life. Instead of facing up to the reality of death and living our lives in light of that reality, quite literally, the Premier of Victoria said this week they're going to hold a concert in her honour. Now, it is good to celebrate and be thankful for the lives of people who have passed. Though in this situation, we are actually seeing what happens time and time again at pretty much every single funeral I have ever taken, with the exception being the Christian funerals I've taken. Because what we're actually seeing in the Olivia Newton-John example is what happens time and time again where we would rather put aside the uncomfortable reality of death than face up to it. Friends, please hear me. Putting the issue of death to one side, putting the issue of death out of your mind is no way to prepare yourself for your own death. And what Jesus tells us here is that a failure to face up to the reality of death will affect how we live here and now. Because our eternal destination and how we think about it will affect the things that we treasure while we are here on earth. And Jesus tells us that our affections can be directed in only one of two ways. The first way of living will see you treasuring the physical things of this world. This way of life will see you seeking to accumulate more and more things because it's only in owning more and more things that you can truly feel secure and safe. It's the way of life that continually thinks, but what if this happens? I need to be prepared for it. What if that happens? I need to have something set aside to help me through that time. Which ultimately means that it's a way of life that seeks to take control over the events of our life because it's only me that can provide myself the kind of safety and security that I desire and need. And this is the way that most people live today. I don't think I have met many people over the course of my life that have felt truly content with how much they own or how much money they have in their bank account. We buy cars and then we want to buy another car. We buy a house and then we immediately start looking to buy another house, an investment property, Or we go camping and then all of a sudden we want to buy a holiday house because the camping is a little bit cold. Friends, the reality is it can be really difficult to be content with the things that God has given us, the things that we already have. But did you hear what Jesus said before about living your life with the goal to accumulate more and more things? Jesus tells us that against the backdrop of eternity, everything that we accumulate in this life is either going to perish or we will not be able to take it with us when we die. Apart from death, that is the other common line that runs through every single human life. We die and we can't take our stuff with us. We can't. That's the simple reality that we must face up to. Every single wealthy person that has ever died, guess how much money they've taken with them into eternity? Nothing. Not even a cent with them into eternity. And Jesus tells us here that we need to live in light of this reality. Because if you truly believe that you cannot take anything with you into eternity, then it will make our quest to accumulate more and more things... Well, it'll make it look pretty ridiculous, won't it, in light of the rest of our lives? And Jesus' point is this spending your life with the mission to accumulate more and more things is a useless endeavour. It is useless. It is futile. Firstly, you can't take any of it with you when you die. Secondly, even while you're alive on earth, they can decay, they could be broken. The economy could crash or someone could just steal it. With material possessions none of them are a good basis for thinking that you are secure and safe because worldly possessions do not last into eternity and they might not even last here on earth while you're alive. A living your life with the goal and pursuit Of worldly things is such a waste of time. This is because, in light of eternity, there is something much better than all of us should spend our time making sure that we are in possession of, which is eternal life. What are you going to treasure, eternal life or your worldly stuff? This is the other thing that Jesus talks about in these verses. Because if you have tasted the forgiveness and grace of God, brought to you by the death and resurrection of his son, then the reality is that you have gained entry into God's heavenly kingdom. And if you have gained entry into God's heavenly kingdom, then your whole life, as we've looked at in recent weeks, needs to be shaped around getting to the kingdom and bringing as many people with you as possible. Now, This is because the Christian life is not actually about this life at all. The Christian spends the Christian life spends all of its years, looking with hopeful expectation to our wonderful arrival into the presence of our heavenly Father. That's what the Christian life is about. A heaven is a place where all the problems of this world will be gone, meaning that heaven is a place that is infinitely better, infinitely better than any experience we could ever have in this fallen world. That's the reality. This means that God's people cannot live treasuring the world over what is to come in the future. Instead, we live treasuring the reward that we will receive in the future when we finally receive salvation. Though I do wonder if you've ever seen this happen to anyone that you've known in your life. Because even though heaven is wonderful, even though we are promised that it is wonderful, even though we're told that all the problems of this world will not exist there, despite the goodness of heaven, I gather that all of us will have examples of friends that were walking the Christian life with us that simply got distracted by the shiny things of this world And in the end, they turn their back on Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. Has anyone ever seen that happen before? I see it happen all the time. (laughs) Friends, I gather that this is one of the reasons why Jesus gives us these words. Because as Jesus moves on in the Sermon on the Mount to describe things that can take people away from the faith, isn't it interesting that the first thing he talks about is money and worldly possessions? They seem to be the shiniest of shiny things in this world that take us away from salvation in the sun. This is the reason why Jesus gives us these words, because for all of us, as we walk the life of faith, putting all those friends to one side and thinking about ourselves, trusting that Jesus is our saviour, and as we rely on God's grace and forgiveness, for all of us, as we walk the life of faith, There is always the constant temptation to give up on the heavenly reward and to put our hope and trust in the things of this world that in the end will not make us safe when Jesus returns. And so for us, the lesson is this do not lose sight of your heavenly reward. Do not get distracted by the bright lights of the world. They might look impressive, but as you think about the world, have this picture in your head. The shiny things of this world are just like those blue light bug zappers, aren't they? That's what what they're like. They drag you in. Have you noticed that with bugs? They drag you in. What happens to the bug? zap that's what happens the bright lights of the world are just blue light bug zappers seeking to drag you away from your entry into heaven and so jesus tells us don't live for the world don't live treasuring the world live your lives treasuring the eternal salvation rewards that will come to all of god's people when his son returns and Jesus tells us this because there is no more secure foundation to base your life on than the immovable promises of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus tells us in this first section that the way that we live our lives and the things that we treasure are a great indicator of where we believe safety and security are to be found. In heaven or in the things that we own? And seek to amass. But I have to be honest with you, I find it really hard to live with my eyes focused on the future when there are so many things in this world that seek to take up our attention here on earth. Have you noticed that as well? The Christian life is so difficult because we live with our hopes in the future while we still live as sinful beings in a fallen world. And so how do you live your life making sure that you're treasuring heaven and not worldly things? Well, that's exactly what Jesus goes on to address in verse 22. But before we read it, we need to understand something about how ancient people thought about physical and spiritual bodies. In today's thinking, we have separated the idea of our physical bodies and the spiritual reality, that they're two very different things. In modern Western thinking, they are two completely separate ideas, though back in Jesus' day, they were not. Back then, physical bodies were entwined with our spiritual reality, and therefore, in the scriptures, you often get parts of our bodies described in almost spiritual terms. You pick this up when Jesus talks about the desires of our hearts. This isn't to mean that there is anything inherently spiritual about the muscle in our chest that pumps blood around our body. Rather, back then they understood that the driving force of life was found in the muscle that pumped blood around their body because simply of the fact that if you don't have a pumping heart, well, what kind of life do you have? You don't have one. Do you? This means that as Jesus talks about our hearts, he's talking about our hearts in the sense that they are the driving force of our lives, which we need to understand as we come to 22, because Jesus tells us that if our hearts drive our lives, then our eyes steer the ship. That's the reality. And so he says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Friends, in the tension between treasuring the world and our treasure in heaven, Jesus tells us, Be very careful about what you look at. Which is a helpful point from Jesus' sermon because the reality is that we will often be drawn into trusting worldly possessions simply because we love to think that the grass is greener on the other side. You've heard me say this before. We humans are very visual creatures, aren't we? We are also terribly impatient, aren't we? This means that while our hope is in the heavenly future, the simple reality is that we live in the here and now, which means that in the here and now can often feel far more concrete and real than heaven ever does because heaven is so far away. Which means that we need to be proactive and very careful about the things we spend our time looking at. Though really what I'm saying is that we need to be very careful spending our time longing after certain things. Our hearts drive our lives and the reality is that our eyes steer the ship. So be very careful with what you fill your mind with. I'll illustrate this to you by telling you a story. I love snowboarding. In fact, I love snowboarding so much that I have grand dreams about the pinch at Black Mountain getting a huge dump of snow one day simply because I want to be the first guy that gets to ride down the pinch on a snowboard. Uh, Kirsty keeps telling me that I'll have to walk back up the pinch after I've ridden down the pinch, but I don't really care. I think it would be so much fun. Um, The ABC have me on speed dial because they want me to video it when I do it. Uh, But I love snowboarding, which means that I've got all the snowboarding gear to be able to do it. I've got my boots, I've got all my snow gear, I've got my snowboard. Though a few years ago, I realised that my snowboard had started to develop a crack along where my boots go into my snowboard. Now, I had the crack repaired. The guy that repaired it did such a brilliant job that you can't tell where the crack was. You can't see it anymore. They covered it over so well that means that there is basically nothing wrong with my snowboard. If it snowed today, I would quite happily get my snowboard and go for a snowboard somewhere. The repair job was so good that you can't see see the crack. I would love to go snowboarding today, but it hasn't snowed. The point is my snowboard works completely fine. But do you know how hard it is to take my snowboard to the snow while remaining content about my snowboard that I know has a crack in it? It also has scratches all over it, especially when you see all the other flash snowboard gear that everybody else has. I have to tell you, in that moment, because of my eyes, it's very hard to be content with my snowboard. And that is exactly the same for every other aspect of life. My four-wheel drive has dents all over it from the kangaroos that I hit when we used to live out at Mungandai. For all appearances, my car is a piece of trash and that if I was a self-respecting person, I would get rid of it and go and buy a shiny new four-wheel drive. But as soon as I slow down... I'm forced to realise that there's actually not really anything wrong with my four-wheel drive, and actually all my city friends are pretty impressed by the dents anyway. But, friends, in the last few weeks, as we've thought about prayer and giving, what we've learned is it's really easy for us to fall into the pattern where we try and outdo each other, where we try and look impressive to other people. We love to play the comparison game with our lives and here with the things that we own. And for me, I wonder if you're anything like me, I need, to be, I need to remember that I need to be content with what I've got. Though the broader lesson from Jesus is this. Don't fill your head with rubbish. Because compared to heaven in the future... The fleeting possessions of this world will not last. And so don't concern yourself with them in a way that shows that possession is where you think real treasure is. In light of eternity, instead, we should be filling our minds with the things of God that help us to love and serve him more. And in light of this, I've got a few questions for you are compared to all the other worldly things that you spend your time looking at. How often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? How often do you come along to church to meet with God's people? All these things are all things that will help you keep your eyes on the eternal reward that is coming. All those people that I think of that have walked away from Jesus, it is reading their Bible, praying, and meeting with other Christians, which was the thing that slowly started to slip away. At that point, it's simple inputs and outputs. If you don't spend your time thinking about the things of God and being encouraged, being encouraged about heaven that is coming, well, you'll start to get impressed by other things. That's the reality. Because, you see, to get the eternal reward, you need to be proactive. So the question's again, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? How often do you meet with other Christians? Don't fill your head with fading treasures. Fill your mind with the things of God in order to remind yourself that even though here and now feels far more concrete, that heaven is actually coming. Because heaven is the only place that you will find safety and security. Now, it is entirely possible that you have arrived at this point of the sermon this morning and you are still not convinced. It is entirely possible that uh, part of your mind thinks that you can still hedge your bets on this stuff. That you can live in a way which functionally loves and treasures and strives to get the best of this world while still having your hopes and dreams in heaven. Well, that's my anticipation that there might be people here this morning that think that way. And Jesus had the exact same anticipation when he spoke those words on the mountainside. That that kind of person would have been present when he preached these words for the first time. Friends, if that is you then you need to know that when it comes to the Christian life and the reward in heaven that is coming for all of God's people, you need to know that you can't hedge your bets. Because the simple reality is that when it comes to the world and God, they are both masters and you can only serve one of them. Verse 24 no one can serve two masters either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money here jesus tells us that when it comes to serving worldly possessions and serving god you can actually only serve one of them in other parts of the new testament we are told explicitly that serving worldly possessions actually leads you to give up the eternal reward that Jesus speaks of. Because what is shown in the way that you live is that you don't treasure heaven at all. You treasure the things of this world. Friends, you can't hedge your bets. A living for God and serving God in your life is the only way that is worth living because every other path takes you away from salvation and heaven. That's the reality. You can't hedge your bets. And so as we finish, I want to encourage you to let eternity shape how you live here and now. And on this, I want to make it clear that owning a house, owning a car, uh, even owning a fast computer, uh, buying a new four-wheel drive, perhaps a new sewing machine or anything else... They are not inherently sinful things to do. But you can see how owning them could be sinful, can't you? Because putting your trust in them or trying to amass possessions for yourself in seeking to look impressive to others could very well be a sinful pursuit. And so as we finish by thinking about how we're going to let eternity shape how we live in the here and now, I want to ask you three questions as we finish. Question one. Are you going to spend your life storing up treasure on earth or in heaven? Only one type of treasure is going to last into eternity. And so fix your eyes on your heavenly reward and do not give it up for anything. Question two. What are you going to fill your mind with this week? Don't fill your head with fading treasures. Fill your mind with the things of God and remind yourself constantly that heaven is coming because it's the only place that you will find the safety and security that you're looking for. Question three. Which master are you going to serve? God? Or your things. Friends, you can't hedge your bets. A living for God and serving God in your life is the only way that is worth living. Because every other path takes you away from salvation and heaven. Friends, I wonder if you feel safe. What we've learnt this morning, that irrespective of where you answer that question, we've learnt this morning that safety and security is found only in trusting in Jesus because everything in this world will pass away. And so we can't trust the things that we own. We can't trust the things of this earth. We can't treasure the things of this world. We need to spend our lives with our eyes focused on what is coming in the future, treasuring our inheritance in heaven and doing everything we can to get there and bring as many people with us as possible. I'm going to pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided everything for us. That means that we can receive salvation when your son returns to judge the world. Though, Father, as we live in the world, it can be so easy to be distracted by the shiny things of this world uh, that even look good and right, we can convince ourselves that we need them, Though what we've learnt from your Son this morning is they are not worth our trust and our hopes. Father, we pray that you will help us to store up our heavenly treasures. We pray that you will guard our minds Help us to invest time in spending time in your word, praying with you and fellowshipping with each other so that we are reminded of how good that heavenly reward is. Father, help us to be your loyal and faithful servants, trusting you and living for you every day. Help us to fight the temptation to put our hopes and dreams in the things that we own or the achievements that we can amass for ourselves. Help us to be your humble servants. Amen.